I'm Kim Singletary. And I'm Rich Collins with Biz New Orleans Magazine. Welcome to Biz Talks. Each week, we reach beyond the pages of Biz New Orleans Magazine to bring you in-depth conversations with members of the business community. From the names everyone knows to the ones destined to make their mark, we'll dive into the top issues, best practices, successes, and failures of every industry that calls Southeast Louisiana home. episode of Biz Talks. I'm Kim Singletary, Managing Editor of Biz New Orleans Magazine, and today we're talking sake, the national beverage of Japan. My guests today are Nan Wallace and Lindsay Brower. They are the co-owners of a brand new company called Wetland Sake, the first Louisiana-made sake that just hit the market about a month ago. I love sake, and when you stop to think about it, For a second, it's surprising, really, that a Louisiana-made sake has taken this long to appear, as we are a state rich in rice. Louisiana is actually the third largest rice-producing state in the country. 425,000 acres of rice were planted on 823 farms in the state just in 2019. Um, It's one of the state's top agricultural exports. It It contributes about $308 million a year to the state economy. And now, my guests today are doing something much different than just adding red beans to it. Nan and Lindsay, thanks for joining me. Hi, Kim. Thank you for having us today. Thank you for having us. We're excited to be on with you. I'm excited to talk sake. Um, so you guys are both New Orleans natives. How did, how did you guys meet? How did this come together? Um, Nan and I are both long-time generation, multi-generational from New Orleans, and our families have been long-time friends. So I've known Nan pretty much my whole life. So how did this idea come together? I mean, it, it does seem when you talk about it to people, you think it's kind of a, oh gosh, I can't believe this hasn't happened before. Um, but are you guys, I'm assuming, as you're both big fans of sake? Like, how did this happen? So Kim, we both love sake like you. And um, I think the way it came about is you, as we pre-COVID, Lindsay and I, both independent of each other, traveled lots um, around the United States. We used to travel quite a bit. And every time we were going into places like New York and California and Chicago and Oregon, you would see lots and lots of different restaurants and bars with sake on their menu. And they might not have a lot of sake on the menu, but you'd be in really fine dining French establishments and they would have on their wine list, they would have two or three really nice bottles of sake on the menu. You go to a barbecue place, they would have sake on the menu. You would go to a bar and they would have sake on the menu. And so the more we were seeing that pop up around the United States, we, we, it became obvious that it was starting to trend up, I think. And so when we got together to talk, we were like, well, why hasn't anyone done it in Louisiana and started making sake since there is so much rice grown here? So what did you guys do before this? What was your kind of former lives? So um, I, I have an entrepreneurial background. Um, I've run two or three different businesses um, and grew them and had the opportunity to, um, to transition them. So um, I kind of come out of the business world, not necessarily the alcohol beverage world, right. um, but out of the entrepreneurial world. 
and Lindsay will tell you hers. Yeah, and I come out of the hospitality industry. Uh, my I'm fourth generation in the hospitality industry. My uh, I grew up in the business uh, at a young age. I was always in the restaurants. Uh, I am after I graduated from college, I uh, went that route and was working in the restaurants on a daily basis until uh, Nan and I started this idea about two and a half years ago. We've been working at it. And okay, so you guys loved it, like I do, like a lot of people do. How did you go? Okay, we're gonna make <laughs> we're gonna make sake. We're gonna be sake makers. How did you learn what what to how to even start? So so I think at the beginning. Um, when we sort of jokingly said, yeah, we should be doing it in Louisiana and use Louisiana rice. We kind of were, we were in jest, we were out having dinner together and we were like, yeah, somebody should be doing this and we should do it. So after that, I started thinking about it and did quite a bit of research over a couple of weeks where I was trying to see how, was there any sake being made in the United States? How much sake was being made in the United States? How much sake was being imported? things like that so um then i went back to Lindsay, and i was like you know somebody should be doing it here and it should be us and so next thing you know we were like okay the only things will, that will really make us move forward with this is one if we can use louisiana rice and two we we knew from the beginning we wanted it to be in a single serve format that it needed to be something that was more approachable in in size and cost and that people should be able to pick up a sake and drink it without having to be highly educated in sake to do that they should be able to just enjoy it and i think some of the things we love about sake not just the taste in the tradition of making sake but you know it's gluten-free it's all natural it's no preservatives no additives it's four simple ingredients to make sake and because of that it's such a clean drink. Um, and so instead of always having to pair it with food, our idea was, well, you should really dr drink it anytime you want. I mean, if you're, you know, in a bar, pick up a sake. If you're eating barbecue, certainly drink a sake. If you're having crawfish, it's delicious. <laughs> so that was from the beginning. We wanted, we wanted to accomplish those two things. And if we hadn't been able to find a Louisiana rice that worked, we probably would not have done the brewery. Agreed. Yep. Okay, so you there's four ingredients and there's rice. Is there a certain kind of rice? What were you looking for? So yes, for sake, it's a uh, short grain rice. In Louisiana, we grow mostly long grain rice. So we spent a lot of time uh, at the LSU Rice Research Center trying to find a rice that would work to brew the sake. Um, and luckily we were able to find one after many visits up there with them and um so they actually didn't have the rice itself kim they had the seed for the rice and they had developed the strain several years back but no one would ever grow it because it was a short grain strain of rice so in order to use that rice we had to have the rice tested to see if it had the right qualities for a sake rice and in particular what you want in a sake rice is you want a high starch rice with low protein. Okay. And so, um, so what we did was we, you know, when they called us from the station and at the rice research center, they were like, oh, we have the perfect rice for you. And this was after many, many visits up there. 
where they kept saying, no, we just don't have anything. We just don't have anything. And finally they closed. We have the perfect rice. And I was like, well, we've been up a lot. So how could you all of a sudden have the perfect rice? And, um, and so they were like, no, no, we just didn't think about it. We created the strain of rice a while ago and no one's ever grown it. So we didn't, it didn't come to the top of our mind, but we have it and it's just going to be the perfect rice. It's high starch, it's short grain. It's, it's beautiful, like a little shaped, like a little pearl. And I was like, okay. And I was like, well, how do we get some? Should we run up and pick it up? And they're like, oh no, we don't have it. And I'm like, well, you just said you have the rice. No, no, we have the seed for the rice. And I was like, okay, well, how do we get rice? In other words, when, what can you do to grow us some rice so we can have it tested? And they go, well, we, we will, we'll grow it for you. And I go, okay. And they go, how much you need? I said, we need two pounds. And they go, what do you mean you need two pounds? I said, we just need two pounds of rice to have the rice tested to make sure it'll work. And they're like, well, the smallest amount we can grow is 7,000 pounds. No, no. <laughs> and so Lindsay and I really had to take a deep breath and look at each other and go, okay, are we really going to grow 7,000 pounds of rice just to have it tested to get to, you know, we need two pounds. And so we were like, okay, if we're going to really go for it, we have to do it. So we called them back and we were like, okay, grow the 7,000 pounds. We need two pounds and then we'll take the rest. Just hold the rest for us, you know? So they go, I they mean, go, but then they're like, oh, we're like, we're like growing. They're like, well, we have to wait till March. Yeah. <laughs> we're like, why? And they're like, well, you plant, you put rice in the ground in March and it comes up in August. And we're like, okay. So we sat there and we waited for it to be grown. Yeah. And then we got our two pounds and we had to send it to the Netherlands to be tested for all the characteristics that we needed. So there, there are labs in the United States, international companies that do lab work for food, but none of them did the whole series of tests we need. So we worked with the international company out of the United States, but they actually had to send it to their Netherlands um, lab to have the panel of tests done that we needed to see how the rice was. And so, um, so when we got the report back, we were like jumping up and down. We actually had two rice tested at the same time. One not so good that they had given us a medium grain rice out of Louisiana. And then the short grain that we grew and um, the, it just came back perfectly. It was very, very similar to um, the, the sort of king of sake rices used in Japan called Yamada Nishiki. And our rice came back with a lot of the very similar characteristics. So we were excited about that. We knew it would work well and it has. Oh my God, I bet. So what were you gonna do if it didn't work? What were you gonna do with 7,000 pounds of rice? That would have just been cost of learning. You would have just oh, gotten huh. rid of it. We probably wouldn't have moved forward with the brewery. Um, but the fact that it did come back so good, we had the 7,000 pounds that we could oh, yeah. use on test, on test batches. Um, okay, so then, um, okay, and just real quick backing up. So why do we grow long grain and not short grain here in Louisiana? It's what people eat. Yeah. It's oh, what okay. the demand is. Nobody in Louisiana wants short grain rice. Ah, okay. So that's what, that's what you have. I'm not a huge rice aficionado, obviously. So that's what we have when we're having our red beans and we're having, you know, whatever, whatever we exactly. want. Gumbo, jambalaya. Yep. Okay. It would It'd be hard to imagine you're eating something that's not a long grain rice. Ah, okay. So you got the so, good rice, 
And then what Dr. Did... Gerd Rice, first year we grew 7,000 pounds, seven, second year we grew 100,000 pounds, oh and this year we have 230,000 pounds of rice in the ground. Oh my gosh. Okay. Okay. So that's one. And then you said there, is there four ingredients? So you use rice, okay. water, okay. Ye yeast, okay. and um, what's called koji, koji spores. And koji spores are um, a type of food grade mold that comes out of Japan. It's used to make, um, it's used to make things like soy sauce and miso. Oh. And um, many other applications too, but in particular, that's really what sort of people would know that it's used for. So we have to use a little bit of the koji um, in each fermentation tank, and it's it acts as um, a starter for the fermentation, much like um, when you have a sourdough starter to make sourdough bread. It's oh, okay. you need that initial starter to get the fermentation going. So how did you guys learn how to do all of this stuff? Is this like hopping on YouTube? Is this going to Japan? Like how did, how did this, how do you learn how to do all this? Um, it has been a long process, <laughs> a lot of learning along the way. Um, we've actually brought in, uh, we've brought in um, two or three brewers who have lots of uh, sake making experience many, many years. Um, uh, and they have lived in Japan and worked in breweries in Japan. And they've come in and we've had them train us and train our team. And, um, and we've read a lot and we've talked with other brewers uh, quite a bit who we, nano breweries, uh, the, even the Japanese breweries who are making themselves much more accessible to um, small American breweries. Because I think for the Japanese community, the more sake takes off in the United States and becomes more readily consumed, um, the better it is for them too, because they get to export more sake to the United States. More people are drinking their sake as well. So how common are these, these small sake breweries right now in the US? There's probably around um, 15, I think right now, and they're popping up, it seems like, um, pretty quickly uh, since we've started. So uh, it's interesting how they're kind of spreading in little major uh, cities around America right now. It's kind well, of like we saw with home brewing, like with, with beer and stuff, it started to kind of just take off. It's exactly. Yeah, it's kind of like the craft beer craze. It kind of started off, it's starting off the same way it looks like. It does. I mean, and most of these are really small mom and pop breweries, but they, um, they're, you know, going through all the steps as we are making traditional sake, we we probably started off bigger than most of the other ones because we knew we wanted to um, be in production where most of those breweries are doing um, tap rooms or tasting rooms, and so they're brewing for their their tap rooms. Um, so they're brewing in smaller quantities, and they're eating. Many of them are you know, serving food and sake and they're doing it in the tap room and that's really their production. That's how they're utilizing what they're producing. Um, they're not really trying to broadly distribute. We will have a tap room that we open sometime this summer 
but we really started with the production side because we wanted ours in cans and we wanted it out in the marketplace in places to make it accessible to everyone. So it's in grocery stores, it's in bars, it's in liquor stores, it's in restaurants. So we knew we wanted to have ours more widely distributed. So it's been out for about a month now. Can you tell people like, okay, like can they go get this at Rouse's? Can they like, where, where can they get wetland sake? We will, by the end of the week, be in uh, a lot of the major grocery stores uh, in the New Orleans area. And then followed by in a couple of weeks, they'll start seeing us uh, across Louisiana, but uh, North Shore, Baton Rouge, Lafayette, Homa um, Thibodeau. Just we're starting kind of in the bottom part of the boot. You'll start seeing our product. And what are the offerings? What kind of uh, options do people have to choose from? So we have a lineup right now, and uh, two are more of a traditional sake, and it's an unfiltered and a filtered, and those are in eight ounce cans, and those are at 14% alcohol. And then we have two sparklings, and those are in 12. Uh, 12 ounce cans and uh, we are launching with a blood orange and a passion fruit and those are at six and a half percent alcohol. So I haven't heard of really sparkling sake. Is that kind of a, a newer thing or? It is new and um, there is a little bit of sparkling sake. You know, there's quite a bit made in Japan. There's very little of it in the United States available. It's starting to be a little more available in very specific markets. Like when you're in California, they have so much sake that you can probably find sparkling sake. If you get on the internet and do a good look, you can probably find a couple of the shippers who do some sparkling sake, but it's not readily available. Um, and everyone uses like a different methodology for making that, but we really wanted ours to be light, refreshing, have it be flavored, and um, and again putting it in the can. So our thought on the sparkling sake is it's um, it's lighter in alcohol, but lighter in flavor too, and it's great for you know during the day, any time really, but to, to when you're, New Orleans is a warm, you know, Louisiana's warm <laughs> climate. And so it's, it's nice to have a sparkling beverage that really tastes good. And it too is all handmade and gluten-free and all of the above, so. And all of our products should be drinking cold. Yeah. Oh, okay. All intended to be consumed cold. Are you guys, so the, are you gonna do like a warm version or hot version anytime? Um, not at the moment, it's not our intention, but remember when we do open the tap room, mm. um, we'll be changing the sakes out all the time. So we'll- Maybe we'll, during the winter, we yeah, might we, we might run a special. On a hot sake that we, you know, we would make the flavor profile a little different to be able to heat it up. Yeah. Okay, so tell me about your operation. You guys are in the lower garden district? We are. We're in the Lower Garden District, right off of Chapitulis on uh, Orange Street, and um, we have the whole production facility here, and we're producing everything in our building, including canning our beverages. We actually do the package packaging in-house, so we own a canning line, and we're canning in in the production area. So, how big of an operation is this? Like, what's your what's your kind of square footage? Do you, how many people are you, are you employing? We, we have 7,000 square feet of space um, 
and our tap room and our production area. So the tap room will not be way, very large, but we have quite a bit of outdoor space that we'll utilize. And, um, and we have um, seven people working in the brewery right now. Wow. That's awesome. Okay, so we're looking at tap room maybe later this summer. Yes. All right. We think that we think that will happen. Okay. We'd probably be able to give you a more definitive date if it weren't for COVID, because the problem is, is everything takes longer than you think to get materials and supplies and equipment and, and equipment and everything else. So um, that that causes us to pause and say, well, we don't want to give out a date and then not be able to actually launch at that point in time. So we're just saying sometime this summer we'll have it open. And that will be, you guys will be doing some, like you said, kind of new flavors and, and people can come down and, and try things out. They can. Yeah, exactly. It will kind of be, it's a, it'll be a little bit of an experience. You know, we'll have our canned beverages out in the market, but we'll be producing a ton of different items in the tasting room. So it will be constantly changing. Awesome. You won't be drinking the same sake in the in the tap room as you will in the um, that's in the cans in the grocery stores and stuff. We'll be we'll be changing sw swapping them out and moving you know making sure we rotate them all the time. Awesome. And then you guys are working with some restaurants too. We are. We have quite a few restaurants that have already picked it up down in the quarter, and some of the bars down in the quarter have picked it up um, and. Um, bars in other areas, and I don't know exactly how to tell you that because it's been moving pretty fast, and, <laughs> yeah. our and our distributors are really doing those sales, um, and we do get reporting, but it's a little bit um, a little bit delayed, so we don't know exactly where it is. But we keep running into people who say to us, "Oh, I was at such and such, and we had your sake, and we were here, and we had your sake," and so. It's kind of fun to know that it's really getting out there and people seem to be enjoying it. We've been doing some, um, Kim, we've been doing some pourings and some tastings at different grocery stores around the city. We started last week and um, that's been w really well received. And it's the first time that any of them would allow us to come in because of COVID. Oh, yeah. So because of COVID restrictions, we couldn't go into the grocery stores. We couldn't go into the bars or restaurants to do tastings because of that. So really last week was the first time that they allowed us to come in and pour. And so we were all over the city last weekend, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We have more tastings coming up in the next two weeks. Um, and I think they get posted on our um, Instagram. Instagram and Facebook. And um, it just, it's really interesting being in the grocery stores and being in front of the people and letting them ask questions. And there's really seems to be an excitement behind it with, you know, us being able to do a sake brewery in New Orleans with the Louisiana rice. And we also, one of the things I love a lot about our product is that we do give 2% of profits back to save the wetlands, which is very important to us. Um, obviously being from New Orleans and the protections uh, that the wetlands give us and also the resources, but it also um, the cultivation of rice. Uh, so yeah, I was gonna say it, it that. Actually, so you yeah, guys- It actually goes, so the fund actually goes to save America's wetlands. And oh, so okay. while, while we're in Louisiana right now, every time we go into a new state, there are wetlands all over the country. 
And um, as you noticed on our can, um, our logo is uh, a heron. And the heron was picked as our logo because we, when we were doing research about the wetlands and rice growing in the wetlands and that kind of thing, we came to realize they're like, you know, some 50 some odd plus species of herons all over the world in wetlands. So it's a bird that everyone will recognize. Yes. And so it really was part of our mission always to, um, to support the wetlands. We grew up here. We have always um, taken advantage you know, of the beauty and the recreation in the wetlands and then learning more about the rice, the need. You know, we, we've always supported coastal restoration. So we sort of known about that. But um, when we were really researching the rice and how it grows, we came to realize what an important piece, the, uh, what an important element the wetlands are to growing rice as well. That's so awesome. we, that's how we came up with the 2% give back to Save America's Wetlands. Awesome. So you guys, so woman-owned company, um, obviously very creative idea, alcohol-based, which is got to be a good sell here and um it sounds like an awesome idea i'm excited to try it um this is this is really cool it, it, is this something that you guys want to eventually i'm guessing you know expand to have to have this everywhere all over the country and that's the dream <laughs> our intention is to, our intention is to take it national and we've been approached already by um, several distributors in other states. And um, I think we could, I, I, they're ready for us to make that jump now. And we, I mean, wow. four or five weeks in, all we can tell you is it's overwhelming and we're thrilled that they're reaching out to us, but we're kind of like, wait a second, we need to get Louisiana, you know, under control first. Let us figure out how much product we need and then we'll go from there. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's pretty amazing after that long and that short amount of time in business to have people knocking on your door like that. Yes, it's a good problem to have. Absolutely. Well, it's been so much fun talking to you guys. I think this is just a great idea. I, again, it's um, so we're gonna have we're gonna have Nan and Lindsay in our July issue. So take a look out for that one and it under our why didn't I think of that um, monthly feature, which. Um, they have, I'm sure, heard many times <laughs> about this idea, um, and I really appreciate. We thank you so much. We thank you so much for your time, and and we hope your audience will go out and give it a try. But in particular, when when we have the tap room open, come come visit us in person. Yes, we would love that. So, wetlands. So how do people find you on on all the socials? Wet uh, wetlands sake s a k e. Yeah, wetlandsaki.com. And then we're also on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, all wetlandsaki. Awesome. Two, two yeah. S's in the middle. So it's wetlands and sake. Ah, okay. Gotcha. Well, awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. And to everybody out there, our May women's issue should be out. Um, talking about some more women uh, kicking butt in business. We've got uh, profiles on the new CEO of City Park, the new GM of the much-anticipated Four Seasons Hotel and Residences, and the highest-ranking woman ever, 
um, just promoted at Stennis Space Center. So you can learn more about those in our May uh, issue of Biz New Orleans Magazine. And thank you to Nan and Lindsay, and go out and get some wetland sake. Great. Thank you thank so you. much. Thank Cheers. You. Thanks for listening to another episode of Biz Talks. If you like what you hear each week, don't forget to rate us and leave a comment wherever you listen to your podcasts. And follow us on social media at Biz New Orleans. For more information or to contact us, please visit bizneworleans.com slash biztalks.